Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Today on Inside Politics, fear of an escalating war. The United States' top diplomat is on the ground in Israel. As Hezbollah warns, it is an unprecedented battle that they are in with Israel. And all scenarios are on the table and possible on the border with Lebanon. Plus, President Biden is under pressure from his own party over Israel's response to the brutal Hamas attack inside Israel. 13 Senate Democrats are now pushing for a humanitarian pause in Gaza. And a CNN exclusive Republican Congressman George Santos is speaking out on the criminal charges he's facing and why, despite all of the lies, talking about a lot of lies, and his legal problems, he still thinks he has a shot at re-election. I'm Dana Bash. Let's go behind the headlines and inside politics. We start with Secretary of State Antony Blinken's powerful message in Israel today. He was visibly shaken, describing more horrific images that he was just shown by Israelis. From the barbaric Hamas terror attack on innocent civilian families on October 7th. I saw... For example, a family on a a kibbutz, a father, two young boys, maybe 10, 11 years old, grabbing them, pulling them out of their living room, going through their very small backyard and into a shelter, followed seconds later by a terrorist who throws a grenade into that small shelter. And then as the father comes staggering out, shoots him down, and then the boys come out, and they run into into their house, and the camera in the house is filming everything, and they're crying. Where's daddy? One says. The other says, they killed daddy. Where's my mommy? And then the terrorist comes in and casually opens the refrigerator and starts to eat from it. That's what we're dealing with. And it is striking and in some ways shocking that the brutality of the slaughter has receded so quickly in the memories of so many. Lincoln also spoke of young Palestinian children pulled from the wreckage of buildings in Gaza. When I look into their eyes through the TV screen, I see my own children. How can we not? Hamas doesn't care one second or one iota for the welfare, for the well-being of the Palestinian people. It cynically and monstrously uses them as human shields, putting its commanders in command posts, its weapons and ammunition within or beneath residential buildings, schools, mosques, hospitals. But civilians should not suffer the consequences for its inhumanity and its brutality. 
as you can hear that the emotion is palpable calling blinken's task complicated is almost an insult to the difficulty of the policy hurdles and trying to navigate the near impossible amidst a sea of anger and despair cnn's jeremy diamond is now joining us from sarod inside israel jeremy uh, the visit is not stopping what is going on on the ground there Jeremy, I want to try to bring you in now. I know there is a lot happening right where you yeah. are. This is what we're looking at, our live can pictures. You hear me, can, Dana? We, yes, we can hear you. Tell us what's happening there. Hey, Dana. So we are uh, on a hill overlooking uh, the Gaza Strip. And right here, you have a lot of media that are actually set up. Uh, we had a siren go off just moments ago. And actually, there was a, a hit, it appears, uh, on a vehicle nearby. Uh, we are standing, again, there's a lot of media here because this is one of the overlook points to look into the Gaza Strip. And what you're seeing, let's let's just get closer to some of the damage if we can here. You see there's obviously a lot of press. It's quite a scrum here. Um, but this car appears to have been blown out by some kind of a rocket perhaps or an interception. Uh, shrapnel may have fallen, but what we heard was a very, very loud boom. It appeared to be some kind of an impact uh, falling directly uh, on this vehicle or near it. Um, trying to get a better look, Dana, because I don't want to get the facts wrong here. But you can see that obviously this vehicle, there's quite a lot of damage to it and we heard a very loud impact. Let me walk around this way with my cameraman, Matias, if he can follow me here. We heard a loud boom. We have not seen any pieces of the rocket at this point and so it's possible that there was some kind of an interception right overhead and shrapnel may have fallen to hit this vehicle it's very hard to tell right now dana but obviously this is one of the realities here the iron dome system obviously takes out the overwhelming majority of those rockets but some of them do get through and in some cases you also have to be aware of the shrapnel that may fall down uh obviously this is turning into a bit of a bit of a circus here so i'm going to take us kind of closer this way. But you can see that there's some damage here as well on this vehicle, which may have been due to shrapnel falling. And so this is uh, the reality of, of, of the situation here, Dana. And, and Jeremy, uh, understanding that this just happened just before you came on air with us, uh, I, I want you to go back to an important point that you made, which is you are in Israel, you are near yeah. the border with Gaza, and the uh, Hamas, the terrorists in Hamas, uh, who still have the ability, the capability, despite um, the civilians not having um, water or electricity and what have you, capability somehow to shoot missiles or whatever kind of attack that they just tried to launch inside Israel. And what happens yeah, right. on the, then, what know, happens regularly? Very... Sorry, Jeremy. What happens regularly is that because Israel has what's called the Iron Dome and the ability to intercept what comes in, uh, it keeps, for the most part, it keeps uh, Israel safe, but it's not foolproof, and there is shrapnel. Understandably, and and as I said, we aren't sure whether this was a direct hit to this vehicle. Uh, to, to me, this seems like most likely some shrapnel that, that hit this vehicle, just given the, the scale of the damage, but it is hard to tell. Some of these rockets are actually not that, uh, don't have that much explosive on them, the, some of these rockets that Hamas uses. And so it's a little bit difficult to tell at times if it's just shrapnel, if it was a direct hit. But what I can tell you is that we had seconds to, to react here. We heard that siren maybe, you know, 
three to five seconds later, uh, we heard a very, very loud boom coming from right where we are right now. And you can hear some of the car alarms still going off. But I, I do want to, as we talk about this and as we talk about some of the damage that has happened here, we should also keep in mind the damage that is happening inside of Gaza as well, where uh, Israeli strikes bombs, missiles, uh, targeting Hamas command centers, many of them underground, but also targeting residential buildings, where Israeli forces say that Hamas fighters have embedded themselves. In Gaza, they don't have an early warning system. In Gaza, they don't have bomb shelters to rush into, as we were able to do. And we have watched, of course, as the toll of casualties in Gaza has really mounted quite substantially uh, over these last three and a half weeks of war. So I do think that that's something we Keep in mind, especially as there's quite a, a, a scrum of media here, and one of the reasons everyone is here is because, again, these positions over here is where we are posted to kind of watch the activity uh, inside uh, the Gaza Strip. Dana? All right, Jeremy, um, stay safe, please. I know you don't need me to tell you that. Uh, but, but also, I just want to say that this is happening while, as, again, as I just played at the beginning of the show, the U.S. Secretary of State is, is there, is in the region, not where Jeremy is, but... Uh, is in Israel. Thank you so much for that. I want to now go to a different part of Israel, to the northern part of the country. That's where Jim Shudo is. So Jim, the leader of Hezbollah, broke his silence, spoke publicly for the first time since the Hamas terror attacks. What can you tell us about what he said? There was a lot of anticipation about the statement. A lot of anticipation, a lot of fear, frankly, uh, among residents here, particularly in northern Israel, bordering Lebanon, where Hezbollah, uh, of course, is based, but also among Israeli officials and, and, and U.S. officials, to see if the leader of Hezbollah would announce uh, that Hezbollah was entering this war uh, more so than it already has been involved. It's already been firing rockets and artillery across the border uh, since we've been up here and really since the October 7th attacks. But anticipation that he might announce something more substantial, he did not do that, at least in so many words. Uh, he spoke for more than an hour. He said a lot of things, certainly expressed uh, solidarity with his brothers in arms in Hamas, but did not say that Hezbollah was entering this war more definitively have a listen to how he put it. The worry is that the possibility of this front actually escalating or going into a fully-fledged war or becoming a wider war is a realistic one. It can happen. And the enemy has to make every provision for this. And I'm sure they do make every provision for this. And I'm sure they do think about it. Yeah, note what he said there, and he didn't say. Note that the enemy, he's describing Israel, is thinking about it, but, but he did not announce that Hezbollah w was jumping in, as it were. And, and I think it was notable as well, Dana, that he deliberately put daylight between Hezbollah and Hamas for those October 7th attacks. He called it, in his words, a 100% Palestinian operation, saying this was a Hamas operation, Hezbollah was not involved. And he even took care to note that, in his words, Hezbollah was surprised by the attack or did not get advance warning. And he explained that and even said, well, we weren't bothered by that. We understand the need uh, for the element of surprise here. But, but many in this country note that distance that he put between Hezbollah and Hamas as a way to perhaps ensure that Hezbollah does not become a target, not just of uh, Israeli forces, but also U.S. forces. You've got two U.S. carrier groups 
off the coast in the eastern Mediterranean, which, as you know, Dana, was a deliberate step by the president who said right in the wake of the October 7th attacks, if you are thinking of joining this war, speaking to other players in the region, in President Biden's words at the time, don't. And Secretary Blinken repeated that warning uh, during his visit to Israel today. Really interesting. Also noteworthy, Jim, that uh, Israela talked about the potential for the war escalating in the north where you are as if he's just sort of a bystander looking at it and not a very active player in that, yeah. the answer to that question. Exactly. Jim, thank you so much for that reporting. I want to now bring in CNN Global Affairs analyst Kimberly Dozier and CNN National Security reporter Natasha Bertrand. Kimberly, can you help parse the, one of the things that Jim just reported from uh, the leader of Hezbollah's statement, which is the distance that he tried to put between Hezbollah and Hamas. What, what does that mean? Why is that important? All along, Hezbollah and its partner Iran have been really good at calibrating, um, creating friction, uh, keeping Israel engaged, um, staying on the right ideological side of the fight in terms of the Arab world without triggering an all-out response. Hezbollah, the time to attack would have been October 8th, October 9th, before Israel had deployed 70,000 troops to that border, evacuated civilians. So their strategy seems to be engaged just enough to keep Israel occupied. And Nasrallah even sort of bragged about that, mm -hmm. that they've kept that much of the army engaged. That seems to be their answer to the Hamas public complaint that Hezbollah hasn't done enough so far. So, but he reserved in this long speech the option to do more, to declare a war. And Natasha, from the U.S. perspective, uh, Antony Blinken, I mean, he's <laughs> trying to navigate this, as I mentioned at the top of the show, is quite, quite difficult. I talked about the emotion uh, that he had and the, the sympathy and empathy that he showed towards uh, Israelis and also innocent civilians in Gaza, but from the diplomatic and policy point of view, uh, the fact that he said, standing in Israel, that there should be a pause, how realistic do they actually think behind the scenes that that is? Well, I think they think that something can be negotiated because as President Biden alluded to last week, there does appear to have been a brief pause in airstrikes while a couple hostages got out of Gaza. And the Israelis have not yet confirmed that, but President Biden did allude to that. And so I think what they want to see is some kind of repeat of that. But the question is, how long will Israel agree to maintain that pause in hostilities? Will it be a couple days? Will it be a few hours? The Israelis have said that they do not want any kind of ceasefire and they will not engage in one unless the hostages are released by Hamas. They do not want to give something for nothing here. And, and look, I think that at the same time, the Israelis are clearly feeling some of the pressure by the U.S. and the international community on how they are engaging in this war. Just look at the fact that they felt the need to show that horrific video yeah. to Blinken That's this right. morning. I mean, that clearly impacted Blinken, and he was obviously empathetic and sympathetic. And it's not the first time that he has seen it. The last time he was there, he saw the images, and we know that the Israelis are showing this 40-minute uh, video. And I you saw, saw it. it earlier this week. It's, uh, it's which that video that he described. To, to, so to media to and to influencers yeah. all over the world. Um, it, that particular video, when you watch the father and the two young boys, you can see it's, it's security camera footage from inside their house. So you can see them running to take shelter and then being attacked and the father falling to the floor, dying in front of his kids um, and them trying to run away and then getting caught. 
it's terrifying. Um, but what, in the larger picture, what this does in terms of by the U.S. backing a humanitarian ceasefire and then Netanyahu saying we'll only do it if hostages are released, it does possibly arm the negotiators with a, hey, Hamas, mm -hmm. we have something that's a serious offer right now so that possibly they can get uh, a few dozen more of those hostages out. All of them? Probably not. Some of them, maybe. The carrot and the stick. Thank you, both of you. Appreciate it. Coming up, President Biden is facing more pressure from some of his key Democratic allies in Congress. More than a dozen Senate Democrats say it's now time for a short humanitarian pause in Gaza. And later, presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy will be here to tell us what his approach to this war would be if he were to be president. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff, and some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. President Biden is under increasing pressure from his own party to push Israel to pause on their attacks on Hamas terrorists inside Gaza as civilian Palestinian death tolls rise. Thirteen Senate Democrats signed a letter calling for a, quote, short-term cessation of hostilities to allow for more aid and to get to get that into Gaza and also to figure out a path forward for a potential way for peace, which actually sounds quite uh, elusive at this point. But let's listen to what Chris Murphy said earlier today. I simply believe that the current level of civilian casualties inside Gaza is too high, both from a moral perspective and a strategic perspective. What we have learned in our own country's counterterrorism operations is that when you are too permissive of civilian casualties, you kill a lot of militants, but you also create a lot of terrorists as well because that civilian harm becomes bulletin board material for terrorist recruiters. Let's bring on our great panel of reporters, CNN's David Chalian, CNN's Manu Raju, and Sungmin Kim of the Associated Press. What I find interesting about this letter from Senate Democrats, David, is that it's not just the uh, proud progressives, uh, if you will. 
it, there are a lot of Democrats who sign this who would consider themselves maybe a little bit more hawkish on, on national security on, and on foreign policy in particular. You can see some of them on the screen. I mean, we don't have to go through the specifics. But what does that tell you about the politics of what is happening right now inside the president's party. It tells me it's on the move. This is not just, as you're noting, uh, a position that is being uh, cornered off to the squad, if you will. Uh, that, that's not where it is. This, this, is, this issue is moving with real-time events, obviously, and, and, and responding to that. When Chris Murphy put out that statement yesterday, I... I was I couldn't believe it. I was very surprised by it. Not yeah. I, it just and I flagged it around to our colleagues and I was like, this is significant. This is somebody uh, that I would expect uh, to be far more sort of in line with the administration every step of the way on this. And, and this clearly was him trying to guide the administration to a place that uh, they should be at. You look at the polling data, you see what Democrats broadly, young people. Um, these are parts of the president's coalition that is in a different place than yeah. the president right now. And then if you just look overall, we actually have uh, some numbers from the Quinnipiac poll that came out this week. Just overall on the party, uh, how Israel is responding, 75% of Republicans approve, 33% of Democrats. And this is when you saw Tony Blinken just this morning in Israel talking about how quickly the horrors of what happened to innocence inside Israel is receding. Uh, um, the impact of that is receding in public opinion on the world stage. Uh, and then trying to balance that with the horrors of innocent Palestinian civilians at the hands of Israeli bombs, but also because Hamas is not only not protecting them, but putting them in harm's way. Right, it is such a difficult balancing act for the administration, because clearly the White House, the president, sees the public polling, sees the public reaction that we are all seeing, particularly from members of his own party, and, and particularly from those who would be otherwise stalwart allies of the administration. But it's really, um, there are some actions, I mean, not only the actions of the White House and their staunch support Israel, that's not the only factor that's really um, concerning many in the Democratic Party, particularly rank-and-file Democrats in critical key states, I would mention, such as Michigan, where there's a large Arab-American Arab community. But it's a lot of the things that the President Biden has said. I was actually, when uh, Chris Murphy was talking about the, the civilian death toll count in Gaza being too high, I was actually reminded of how President Biden last week in his press conference said that he kind of didn't take the death toll count at face value yeah. because it is coming from the, the Hamas-run health ministry in Gaza and many in the community, many in the Palestinian American community really felt those comments were insensitive. Well, it, Hamas is not, an, uh, and, and the people who are giving us those numbers are not necessarily reliable when Correct. it comes to yes. data. So he's not wrong about sure. that. But that is lost right. in nuance, as you're tr trying to mention. You mentioned Michigan. Another uh, person who I thought was really, really telling uh, in speaking out is Alyssa Slotkin. She is a Democrat. She is a she's former military intelligence. Definitely not a progressive like at all. But she's also running for Senate yeah. in the very important state of Michigan. Listen to what she said. 
I think uh, our experience after 9-11 is actually um, instructive here. For those of us who have served in places like Fallujah and Ramadi, we just want to make sure that there's an end game that's not, um, that's not fantasy, that's actually real. We want to make sure that you don't create more terrorists by the way that you act. And we want to make sure that we get the people who perpetrated this attack. And you can want all those things all at the same time. And sometimes being right. a good ally and a good partner is telling those hard lessons from our own experience. Hey, look, she's also running in a Democratic primary in Michigan still, that she's a favorite. But there is a growing split within the Democratic Party. I spent the morning talking to House members. Some are very close, aligned with the president on this. Some want him to be more forceful against Israel. Some of them want to embrace calls for a ceasefire. You're seeing in the Democratic leadership all down to the rank and file. And the longest this, longer this plays out, the more likelihood we're going to see that persist and then reflect in the polling as well. Okay. Short panel today. We have a lot going on, but we're going to have you back with an exclusive interview uh, later in the show. Coming up, we go one-on-one -on -one with a GOP presidential candidate, Vivek Ramaswamy, how he plans to try to break away from the pack and take on Biden in 2024. We'll talk to him about that and more next. We are just 10 weeks away from the Iowa caucuses, the first time Republican voters will have a say in who will be their nominee for president. Joining me now is one of the candidates, Vivek Ramaswamy. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, my first question is about lawmakers uh, in Washington who are resisting calls for a ceasefire, a lot on the Republican side. The president has now endorsed a pause to get hostages out of Gaza. Do you support calls for either a ceasefire or a pause? My view on this is a little bit different than candidates in both major parties, Dana. I think Israel has an absolute right to its own national self-defense. What Hamas did to Israel was medieval. It was subhuman. And Israel absolutely has a right to exist. That was the founding vision of Israel, is that it would defend itself without relying on the West or the United States or Europe or anybody else for their fleeting sympathies. And so our job is to let Israel defend itself to the fullest. But conversely, I would have the U.S. stay out of it militarily as well. That respects Israel. It respects America first, and I think that that's best actually for both countries, and that's how I would lead. You um, have taken a different stance than most, if not all, of your Republican uh, competitors for the nomination when it comes to Israel. I want to play something that you said last week about Israel. Whatever military aid the U.S. provided to Israel for the last 10 years did absolutely nothing to prevent that breach, was, which was the worst attack that Israel has faced in 50 years, possibly ever, in its history. And I think it is at least reasonable to ask the question of whether the supposedly protective blanket that the U.S. provided may have, in a small way, contributed to the intellectual inertia of Israel's own defenses. I just want to be clear. Do you think that U.S. aid military aid in particular to Israel, is somehow harming the IDF's abilities? I think not directly, but indirectly, I think it's a reasonable question to ask. That quote about intellectual inertia that I referenced there in that speech, Dana, that was from a speech given by David Ben-Gurion, the founder of Israel, who said that the intellectual inertia of Israel's defenses would be the greatest danger to Israel's existence and actually warned of the importance of not relying on foreign sympathies from the U.S. or the West or otherwise for Israel's own national self-defense. And so I do think when the U.S. gets overly involved in the Middle East 
and particularly even in this conflict in Israel, it muddies the waters where it constrains the IDF's ability to get its own job done versus where I think the U.S. job does exist as an ally to provide a diplomatic iron dome yeah. to Israel. Well, it, Don't it, let the UN, the EU, or anybody else get in the way. So I think that's yeah. the right relationship. But, uh, yeah, and Dev David Ben-Gurion, who was the first uh, uh, prime minister of Israel, certainly talked about the intellectual inertia and not relying on sympathy, but I don't get any sense considering the fact that the U.S. has been helping to aid, financially aid, Israel since 1946, before it was a state, that that has contributed to military or national security inertia. Quite the opposite, if you ask most experts. Well, Dana, I think that it's worth taking a step back, all of us. What did I say in that speech? It's a reasonable question to ask, but we need to ask what actually led to that colossal failure of intelligence, of defense, of border defenses. That was on the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War of 1973. Should have been on high alert, and yet something happened that should not have happened. We need to get to the bottom of what exactly occurred there. I also think that the U.S. poking its nose in the Middle East in other ways may have indirectly contributed to this. The talks about potential nuclear technology transfer to Saudi Arabia, I think, is a disastrous idea that had bipartisan support. Yeah. And I don't think it's entirely a coincidence support. that that happened this summer right before what happened on October 7th. And so, yes, I am asking difficult questions outside of the partisan orthodoxies in both major yeah. political parties, but that get to the bottom of what's right for I, Israel and right for the United States. And that's what I'm doing. Before I, I let you go, I have to ask you about uh, where the campaign rhetoric is right now in this competition to be the nominee. Yesterday, Ron DeSantis said this about Donald Trump not showing up to the Republican debates. I know uh, Donald Trump and a lot of his people have been focusing um, on things like footwear. I'll tell you this. Um, you know, if Donald Trump can summon the balls to show up to the debate, I'll wear a boot on my head. And this is, of course, uh, part of a discussion that began with Nikki Haley talking about the size of the heels that Ron DeSantis wears in his boots. So, look, I prefer to talk about the issues, Dana. And right now we are marching our way into World War Three. Both political parties are. I think I'm the only candidate who's offered a clear vision of how we'll stay out of it. Pull apart the Russia-China alliance. Avoid Dick Cheney 2.0, $7 trillion of national debt that we racked up, sending America's sons and daughters to die in places like Iraq and Afghanistan when the Taliban is still in charge 20 years later. I am worried we're marching our way towards making those same mistakes again. And so I see a lot of other candidates, many of them will be on that debate stage, avoiding talking about that real issue to talk about everything else around it, dancing around the really difficult issues we need to answer. Mm. How do we advance American interests? How do we secure our own homeland? How do we focus on our real adversary, communist China, and declare independence from them while staying out of World War III, which we are closer to any time in my lifetime than we've ever been? That's what I want to be talking about. And I do think that the other candidates are deflecting. I'm not going to let them get away with it. Vivek Ramaswamy, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. And up next, a CNN exclusive, Congressman George Santos spoke with Manu Raju about the criminal charges he's facing and his future in politics. Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Yellow. We're the creators and showrunners. 
Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hack Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max. Welcome back to Inside Politics. New York Republican George Santos is speaking out after surviving an expulsion vote this week, but that doesn't mean he's in the clear. He could face another vote after a House Ethics Committee report comes out later this month. He told Armanu Raju just this morning that even if he is eventually expelled, he will run again in 2024. So they expel you and then they put someone else in the seat. You're going to run in 2024. Absolutely. Uh Can you win a primary, given all these yes. things that are lined up against you yes. in the general election? This is a, a Look, Biden-leaning district, could, and you have all these issues against you. Could I have won the general election last time? Nobody said I could, but I still It was tried. a different situation. No, no, I understand, but elections are tricky. There, there's no predetermined outcome. Manu is here with us. Manu, uh, so much to discuss. I'm sure you got into all of it. Yeah, de- defiant all the way. We talked about his criminal allega- uh, indictment against him, his fabrications from his past. He downplayed any of that having an impact on him, especially the lies that he admitted telling uh, about his past. He said it, voters don't care about that. Your voters thought they were electing Manu, one person. Nobody and that elected wasn't true. me. Nobody elected me because I played volleyball or not. Nobody elected me because I graduated college or not. People elected me because I said I'd come here to fight the swamp. I'd come here to lower inflation, create more jobs, make life more affordable, and the commitment to America. That's why people voted for anybody. To say that they voted based on anybody's biography, I can beg you this. Nobody knew my biography. Nobody opened my biography who voted for me in the campaign. And of course, he lied about his employment history, going to school, being a star volleyball player, but says no one cares. So will he run again? He says he will. We'll see what happens. And being Jew-ish, yeah. which I know you talked we about, talked as, about well. as well. Catch much more of the interview this Sunday at 11 a.m. on Inside Politics Sunday with Manu Raju. Up next, does the president have a problem with black voters? CNN's John King talked to voters in the battleground state of Wisconsin to find out. CNN's John King has been talking to voters in battleground states about the issues that really mattered to them ahead of next year's presidential race. He traveled to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where high turnout is key for Democrats in the state's largest city. Nearly 40 percent of Milwaukee's population is black, a crucial voting block. But voter frustration could be a problem for the Biden camp. Devontae Johnson is a foot soldier for democracy in one of its most crucial battlegrounds. Hello, I'm Devontae for Black, Black Leaders Organizing for Community. This stop is encouraging. I'm so happy that it's a black man out here that's going from door to door. She's a tough one. <laughs> Fellow organizer Des Woods, though, gets the response far more common these days. I don't want to talk about the election. Woods is trained to keep trying. So are you not a voter? When I want to, uh-huh. and right now I don't want to. The predominantly black neighborhoods on Milwaukee's north side can look and feel forgotten. One of the main things you care about. The canvassers meet often and share what they are hearing. Good paying jobs are scarce. Rent is up. The streets used to be cleaner and safer. Do y'all hear people say, it ain't nothing happening, it, it won't affect us, it don't. Raise your hand, raise your hand. That's all they be saying, it's like, ain't no change. Wow. So we see all these other areas. Block founder Angela Lang outlines this week's agenda and next November's stakes. There is no way to win a statewide election that doesn't run through the black community. What happens in Milwaukee can impact the rest of the state, which ultimately can impact the rest of the country. No pressure. 
The president was last here in August for a green energy event. And this old industrial site is being cleaned up with Biden infrastructure money. Putting in the work for black America. But early spending on radio and TV ads targeting black voters is proof the campaign sees the problem. Those ads don't mention one issue critical here. People are wondering, what is he doing in terms of police accountability and criminal justice reform? Lang also says the president better show up more. People always want to see um, people actually paying attention. And sometimes that means being able to physically be here and engage. Black turnout soared here in the Obama years, but it dropped in 2016 and was flat in 2020. On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you grade the Joe Biden presidency in terms of its impact on your life and your community? A four. A four. Yeah. And I love Joe. Devette Baker, though, sees a reason for optimism. The alternative is the man whose name I try not to say. Well, I'll say it. Um, <laughs> when we sit, as we sit here today, the likely alternative is Donald Trump. Right. Would that be enough to motivate people, even if maybe they're a little eh on Biden? I think so. Joanna Brooks is one such voter. She owns a yoga studio just across the Milwaukee line in Glendale. All right, Shaw. Like many we met in the city, Brooks says black voters get taken for granted. Black people in general, I think, tend to be pretty loyal to the Democratic Party. Um, and sometimes I wonder, just based on how that party has performed thus far for people of color, if we should continue to be. But Brooks says that accountability exercise must wait until after 2024 because of constant Republican attacks on abortion rights and voting rights. I grew up almost certain that my rights were guaranteed, right? I took it for granted. And now as I sit and watch the work of so many black folks during the civil rights movement, uh, so many women who fought for women's rights, when I see all of their work slowly being undone, that was a, a wake up call for me, for sure. So you have to fight. Eric Jones is no Trump fan, but he thinks it's foolish to bet on Trump motivating black turnout. I get people saying they're not going to vote. That's my fear, that if they see those two and they're going to say, screw it, we're, we're damned anyways. We met Jones at the fifth anniversary of the Bronzeville Collective. Several local artists sell their goods here. It is a source of smiles and hope in a community often defined by poverty and a high incarceration rate. When the factories and the manufacturing left, jobs left. When jobs leave and opportunities leave, then you have certain things that are uh, domino effects, right? Jones says the president should stop by and learn a lesson. You bring opportunities, you bring jobs, you get votes, plain and simple. For the president, it is the mood a year from now that matters most. But the mood today is bleak. If you're Joe Biden and you want to be reelected, he'd have a problem today, right? Yes, he will. He'll have a big problem. Johnson's work could well help the president. But listen. If it were just Biden and Trump, who would you vote for? That's, that's, that's just a tough one. A young man who says the country needs big change. Determined to boost Milwaukee's black turnout, yet not sure who gets his vote. John, so fascinating and important uh, always to hear from voices of the people who are actually going to de determine the president. I just want to kind of underscore the, the entire theme of your piece, which is in this community, it doesn't seem like it's it's not a question of, am I going to vote for a Republican or a Democrat? It's, am I going to vote and go out and help Joe Biden and get him over the line? 
It's just the disconnect. You, you find this among Trump supporters, and now you find it among black voters who are reliably Democratic. They think Washington has just stopped working for them. They don't think their leaders are paying attention to them. They think in the case of the Democrats, and in, including the president of the United States, that they come and say how critical you are, how you have to vote, how I need you to vote, and then they forget about them. Uh, they just feel forgotten and left out, and they think Washington is broken. They think politics is broken. And so to hear a, that young man, and then the older black women, the black women are the juice in the black community. Mm -hmm. They keep it going and thriving. They, you know, they lived through the civil rights movement. People died for their right to vote. And then they still say, I'm not sure it matters anymore. It is stunning. Oh, it absolutely is stunning. And the enthusiasm uh, gap, if you will, is, is true in that community and, and all over when it comes to the Democrats and the challenge that Joe Biden has. And I know you have found that in your travels before, and I'm, I know that you're gonna be looking into that as you continue to go around the country. John, thank you so much. Thanks for coming thank in. Thank you for joining Inside Politics. CNN News Central starts after a quick break. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 